Hello, welcome to Temple Talk. Before we begin, I need to mention a few things. Firstly, I am not an official representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor am I sponsored by them. I'm doing this on my own time and on my own dime. Secondly, every resource I use to create each episode are all publicly available material approved by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I will always include links in each episode description. Lastly, if you'd like to learn more about our beliefs regarding the temple and all things, I will also include a link to the website churchofjesuschrist.org in the episode description. Thanks for tuning in, and now for the episode. Hello. Welcome to Temple Talk. I will be your Temple Talker, Camille, and I have a very special guest Temple Talker. Not only is he very wise, and this will be great to have him on my podcast, but it's also my father, and we're recording on Father's Day. That is what the best daughters do, is force their dad to work on Father's Day. (laughs) Very sorry about that. Uh, So, Dad, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is James Hoff. I am, in addition to be Camille's father, wow, nothing else very important come to think of it. The most important thing. (laughs) Yep. No, been married 38 years to my lovely wife, Jalair. Hope to make it to 39 here in August. And uh, we have four children. And I am, believe it or not, a petroleum engineer, which will... Uh, I think be underscored with my lack of personality that will be evident in this interview. The dad jokes are painful, but mm-hmm. they're also very informative. So <laughs> uh, I thought recently you just showed us an article that apparently dad jokes help builds uh, embarrassment tolerance with their children or something like that. So it's, uh, it's amazing. Yes. I help you to be very well-rounded. <laughs> uh, the reason I asked my dad to help me out with this episode is he has been a, a bishop before and we are talking about temple recommends today. And I thought it would be great to get some of his stories and experiences that he's had when it comes to Temple Recommends. But let's go ahead and just begin with a basic question. What is a Temple Recommend? Do you want to start or do you want me to take that? I mean, I'd be happy to start generally and then you can fill in as need. Yeah. Um, So a Temple Recommend is a physically it's a piece of paper that you present and it gets scanned in. And it recommends you as one who is worthy to enter the Lord's house. And it is signed by three people or uh, virtually signed by three people in some instances. Now, that would be yourself as the uh, applicant and then the the bishop or a member of the bishopric and then the stake president or a member of the stake presidency. For members who are going to do baptisms and confirmations only, you receive a limited use recommend, which means that you're able to do baptisms and confirmations only. You don't have access to all the full ordinances in the temple yet. And those will be for youth. Is it 11 now or they're about to turn 12? It is in the year that you turn 12. And I should mention, too, that if you have a limited use recommend, it is not signed by a member of the stake presidency. That would just be a member of the bishopric who would uh, who would do that. And those are good for for 12 months. Um, The other full recommends are good for two years. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, good catch. I know I mentioned this in a previous episode, but. Having worked at the recommend desk in the temple and seeing the 11, 12-year-old coming into doing baptisms, they look so small. I don't know if they're just not being fed enough or I'm just older now, but they're so tiny in their actual children doing baptism, which is amazing. So you had always mentioned with Temple Recommends that the reason that we have a process where we have other people uh, verify our worthiness is to play into kind of the law of the witnesses that it's a very special experience for those servants of the Lord to be able to verify with us that we are worthy to enter the temple. 
And if not at that time, uh, then they will help us work through the things that we need to to go to the temple. So the law of witnesses uh, states in the scriptures in a number of different places that in the in the mouths of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And your worthiness to enter the Lord's house is no different. Uh, it is subject to that same law of witnesses, which is why you have more than one witness of somebody just raising their hand and saying, I'd like to go. There are standards and there are actually very good reasons for the standards. And we can get into that here in a little bit. But there are standards that uh, allow you to go in. And much like being prepared to take a, a university course in higher mathematics, if you haven't had uh, basic addition and subtraction and those types of things and understand that concept, it's not going to make any sense to you. Another analogy that people have used is constructing a house and trying to put on the roof of the house, kind of the capstone of the house, without even having a foundation yet. And so you want to go through and make sure that there's a good foundation that allows this to be a meaningful experience and allows you to understand the promises that you're making and then being able to live up to those promises. Oh, I like that. Thank you. Also, um, there are some special circumstances in which there are temple recommends that are issued for one time only. I think that would apply to children that are going to be sealed to their parents. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the sealing ordinance in a later episode, but I thought I would just mention that children that are younger than the age of 12 who don't have their own recommends are able to come and participate in that ordinance when they're younger. And there is one other one. Um, when you, If you've been endowed and uh, previously attended the temple, and later are going to be sealed and married, that is a one-time recommend. You, even if you have one, you still need to go back in and get it. It's for a personal or living ordinance. And so that's a one-time recommend as well. And sometimes people forget that and they think, oh, I've got my recommend. They'll show up and go, uh, you're supposed to have one for living ordinances. And it's like, oh, really? And then you get a quick phone call as a bishop and that's always fun. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Those last minute recommend issues, mm -hmm. everyone's favorite. Okay, so now that we've talked a little bit about the different types of recommends, I thought we could talk about the actual process that's involved with the interview and what it means to be recommended to the Lord. There was an incredible talk given by Elder Razvan called Recommended to the Lord. I will absolutely include the link in the description. It's, I think, one of the greatest talks ever about the recommend. I very much used to think about a recommend as kind of another step in the process to going to the temple. I didn't think about it as a time to really evaluate where you are spiritually and to be able to answer those questions and to, oh, it's, oh, it's almost like you're bearing your testimony of things. And I really like that. So I'm really excited to get into that. But let's, yeah, let's first talk about kind of the process. You have to have an appointment with a member of the, or with a bishop. Yes. So if it's your first time, um, and even if it isn't, but if it's your first time, you'll, you will typically go uh, and have the interview with the bishop. If there's a circumstance where someone needs to have an interview and the bishop's unavailable, then a counselor can do it, but you would almost always go in uh, with the bishop. And that's handled through the executive secretary. So you would contact the executive secretary and let him know that you needed a temple recommend. And this was your first time. And by doing by saying it's your first time, that, that cues him in to not schedule you with a counselor, but with the bishop. Obviously, if it uh, is not your first time, then uh, just say, I need, I need to renew my temple recommend, and then you can get scheduled with anybody. And then uh, for youth, they don't have to go to the bishop. It used to be that uh, early on for a youth, they had to go directly to the bishop and it couldn't be a counselor. And that's no longer the case. Uh, counselors can do that. And in fact, that's one of the fun things that you get to do as a counselor is have youth interviews because you have to, you have to phrase things a little different sometimes um, just to make sure that 
an 11 year old is going to have a different understanding of the law of chastity than a 35 year old would typically. And so there are some things that you have to learn how to explain and simplify to make it more understandable for uh, those who are younger. I had read in the handbook as I was preparing for this that the questions are set that the bishops need to ask those questions, but they're allowed to expound upon or clarify for individuals to make sure they really understand what they're answering. Yeah, and and I, I've been involved in a situation when I was uh, fairly newly wed that my wife and I went into a bishop and his he was renowned for having 45-minute temple recommend interview. <laughs> and I thought, I've been to the temple a lot yeah. on my mission, after my mission. I think I know what this is about. And we went in and had an interview with him. And lo and behold, it took 45 minutes. But he was kind of making up the questions as he went hmm. and was filling in lots of things and interpreting things that I, I appreciate having the standard questions because there are ways that you can explain some things, but not necessarily interpret things. But it's for me, I appreciate that because everybody comes from a different background, different point of view. And it's nice not to wonder, is that your personal interpretation? Mm -hmm. So. I think that's something very much about President Nelson uh, is very standardizing things across the church. And I've really appreciated that. Um, I thought I would just quickly mention here that Temple recommends uh, in the restored church. They used to be signed by the first presidency of the church by Joseph Smith and uh, by all those personally. That would take forever now. They're over, what, 16 million members. I think that would take too long, especially since you're renewing those either every year or every two years. But changes have occurred to the temple recommends interview questions. And I think this is very much in the same vein as the changes that have been occurring in the temple, that it's not a change in doctrine. It's not our way of adapting to the world standards or trying to fix past mistakes. But as we've asked questions of the Lord, that he's helped clarify a lot of the things to help us really focus on the spirit of law instead of the letter of the law and more traditional processes that we used to do. And we also know church leaders aren't perfect and the process of learning God's way takes time and it requires faith, which is where we are still learning. But changes have been made to temple ordinances and also to the recommend interview questions over the years. And I just think, I don't know, I think it's been easier to understand, at least for me. There were some questions I remember as, as a youth being asked that I would have to say, can you repeat that? Or can you can you clarify exactly what you mean by that? And I feel like they've gotten a little bit more clear for everyone to understand. I also wanted to point out that before you go on a mission or before you are married and sealed in the temple is when you will need to receive a recommend to go receive your endowment, which again, that will be covered in a later episode. And is there still, I'm going to spring this on you. Sorry, you're my dad. He's used to this. Is there still a waiting period after you've been baptized, if you were baptized as an adult into the church, that you need to wait before going to the temple? So uh, that period would be uh, a day or two at most. Um, Essentially, one of the things that we're trying very hard to do now is get people into the temple as soon as possible. Mm. But that would be for baptisms and confirmations. Okay, So we'd love for somebody, you know, right after their baptism to go in, visit with the bishop, get a recommend and head on over to the temple. Usually that takes a day or two um, or a week or two. But then uh, in terms of receiving their endowments, that is still one year. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And same with sealing then, I'm guessing? Uh, Correct. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm going to cover a little bit about uh, from this talk recommended to the Lord by Elder Rasband. I'm going to quote these three paragraphs here because he just says it so much better than I ever could. (laughs) He said, whether for youth or adults, your temple recommend interview is not about do's and don'ts. 
A recommend is not a checklist, a hall pass, or a ticket for special seating. It has a much higher and holier purpose. To qualify for the honor of a temple recommend, you must live in harmony with the teachings of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In your interview, you have the opportunity to search your soul about your personal faith in Jesus Christ and His Atonement. You will have the blessing to express your testimony of the restored gospel, your willingness to sustain those leaders whom the Lord has called to lead His church, your faith in the doctrine of the gospel, your fulfillment of family responsibilities, and your qualities of honesty, chastity, fidelity, obedience, and observance of the word of wisdom, the law of tithing, and the sanctity of the Sabbath day. Those are bedrock principles of a life devoted to Jesus Christ and his work. Your temple recommend reflects a deep spiritual intent that you are striving to live the laws of the Lord and love what he loves, humility, meekness, steadfastness, charity, courage, compassion, forgiveness, and obedience, and you commit yourself to those standards when you sign your name to that sacred document. I have had the privilege of getting to teach temple prep for for many years now. It's one of my favorite classes ever, but we talk about how the temple is such a sacred place that we need to be spiritually prepared to go in and to make those covenants that we will make and to participate in this incredible work of salvation. And the Lord has set his standards for the temple. It's not the standards of men. It's not things that just the prophets say, oh, this would be neat if they're living this ordinance. These are the Lord's ordinances and standards that are required, which is why it's so important that not only do we go through this interview process, but we go through it often as things change in our lives to know that we are still living true to the standards the Lord has set for his church. So with that, I know my dad happened to bring the Temple Recommend questions along, so we can go through some of those. Yeah, happy to. The questions, it's interesting. This is about version four um, in terms of since I've been attending the temple starting back in about 1981, I think, or 82. And so back about 25 years ago when I uh, was serving as a bishop, this was, uh, you get to the point where you say these enough that you have the questions memorized. And so when there have been changes made, the first time I didn't worry too much about it because I wasn't in a calling that required me to do that. The second time I was serving in a bishopric as a counselor, and I had to go back and actually read the questions because I find myself quoting the old questions <laughs> and then and then having to stop and correct myself. So uh, there are a couple of changes that I think uh, might be interesting to point out as we go along. But the first question is, do you have faith in and a testimony of God, the Eternal Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost? That is pretty much verbatim the way it used to be. Um, the second one is, do you have a testimony of the atonement of Jesus Christ and of his role as your Savior and Redeemer? Two things about that. First, the the word your was added. They used to just hmm. say as Savior and Redeemer. Really? So it's now very personal. Hmm. Not only is your going personal, but it's personal to him as well. And I find it interesting that of all the different titles that the Savior has, dozens and dozens of those, the two that they focus on here is Savior and Redeemer. We all need saving and we all need redeeming. And so the testimony of Jesus Christ in all the different aspects really focuses in terms of temple preparation and being ready to go on his role as Savior and Redeemer. The third, do you have a testimony of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The fourth is, do you sustain the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as the prophet, seer, and revelator, and as the only person on earth authorized to exercise all priesthood keys. It doesn't say he's the only person on earth who holds all priesthood keys. Mm. And that comes in here in just a minute. But then uh, then the follow-on question to that, part B, if you will, is do you sustain the members of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as prophets, seers, and revelators? 
anybody who has that title as prophet, seer, and revelator, that in essence means they have all of the priesthood keys here upon the earth at this time. They hold those keys, but they are not active and they don't have the power of directing yet until you become the senior apostle. And then the other members of the Quorum of the Twelve will lay their hands on, on the head of the senior apostle and activate those keys. And now he has the ability to direct as president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That used to take months. And actually, originally, it took uh, over three years from the time Joseph Smith died until Brigham Young uh, became the president of the church. In the meantime, they were directing the work as a Quorum of the Twelve, which is as it should be, because Joseph Smith did teach that whenever there is not a president of the church, there is no first presidency, which makes sense because as a counselor, you are called as a counselor to the president. If there's no president, there's nothing for you to do. Therefore, that's dissolved. Secretaries, you're a secretary to the organization. So you aren't mm-hmm. necessarily, you aren't released automatically when a president's released. Counselors are. Sense. I didn't think about that. So with, with uh, the Quorum of the Twelve, then they form a quorum equal in authority to the first presidency. And so when there is not a president of the church, then that falls back to the Quorum of the Twelve. So anyway, it got to the point when uh, President Harold B. Lee passed away back in the early 70s that Spencer W. Kimball, he was there in the hospital room. And shortly after he passed away, Marion G. Romney, who happened to be second counselor in the first presidency at the time, turned to President Kimball and he said, you're in charge now. And it, it officially began that the mm. moment that President Lee took his last breath. So just as kind of a point uh, about prophets, seers, and revelators and that title, if you will. And then the follow-on question to that part C, do you sustain the other general authorities and local leaders of the church? The uh, fifth question is, the Lord has said that all things are to be done in cleanliness before him. Do you strive for moral cleanliness in your thoughts and behaviors? Do you obey the law of chastity? And that one has been changed to give, I think, better explanation as to why you're asked about the law of chastity. And this is one where typically um, 11-year-olds would have a whole different question Mm -hmm. and and a different way of thinking about it. And so, like, I developed a way of trying to explain it to them very simply I did not end up needing to use that with adults. They all had been in the church long enough that they understood what the law of chastity was. But for the youth, sometimes it can be a new concept. And so just explaining that in a very simple manner um, is something that I think is, I found to be very helpful. I like that a lot. I actually have some thoughts with that. There's a quote that I loved about this, uh, making covenants to abide by the law of chastity and to live it is more than just about sex or intimacy. It's about learning to develop a character that can be trusted, exercises restraint, respects boundaries, won't selfishly abuse power, and has the ability to create and maintain a covenant family. Whether we are single, dating, or married, young or old, there is truly divine power in developing a truly moral character, which I like that a lot. That's not just, are you not being promiscuous? (laughs) That really has to do with, are you living the true law, which is developing a moral character and dressing modestly? Are you prepared to make some of these covenants that you're going to make with wearing garments, which again will be another awesome episode, that we're preparing ourselves, if our bodies are temples, that we can't come into the Lord's house with unclean temples ourselves, that we're living those laws. So just got to throw that in there. And one other part about that is that as you really look at the law of chastity in its whole, it's a positive law. It's mm-hmm. not a negative law. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there can be a tendency to focus on the no, 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 no's. Um, and then all of a sudden you see some poor bride that is in visiting with the bishop prior to getting her recommend to be sealed. And, you know, she realizes, uh oh, the time is now. Yes, 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 yes. And somebody needs to flip a switch. 
And that's really, I think we do a disservice when the law of chastity is just approached as a negative. Mm. It would be like the law of the fast being approached as you cannot do this and this and this and totally missing the power of it, which is doing these things, praying and extending your faith in behalf of others, those kinds of things. Mm. All right. Next question. Do you follow the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ in your private and public behaviors with members of your family and others? And this one the question that this replaced really was trying to get to, without being blunt, uh, abuse. And it, think about the, the question is that, the, again, this replaced, and I think in a better way, in a larger context, is that you need to not only follow the teachings that say, oh, I need to be a good father, I need to be a good mother, but there cannot be anything in the way that you practice things privately that would could be construed as abuse. You definitely want to make sure that abuse doesn't creep in, in both public and private. And so that's why I find it instructive that they still mention first is in your private and public behavior with members of your family and others. So it really focuses on the family and making sure that you're treating people with respect and treating them as a savior would in both public and private. I really like that. President Nelson has been opening up conference with with strong messages about no abuse is tolerated in the church. And yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't think about that being reworded for that. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, the next question, number seven, is do you support or promote any teachings, practices or doctrine contrary to those of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? That question used to say, do you support, affiliate with, or agree with any group or individuals whose teachings or practices are contrary to or oppose those accepted by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? And I had one brother who stopped me and he said, I'm going to have to tell you about this. And I'm thinking, well, this is interesting. Um, yes, you have my attention. And he asked me if I knew what his middle name was. And I had to look it up and, oh, yeah. And his middle name happened to have been the same name as a very famous polygamous leader. Hmm. And in fact, that was his cousin. Oh, wow. And so he said, I have been at family gatherings where he's been present. He says, I do not support or agree with any of those things that he's doing, but you need to be aware. And I kind of felt badly for him that he felt like he needed to report mm -hmm. that. This question now, as, as you look at it, this just says, do you support or promote any teachings or practices or doctrine contrary to the church's uh, doctrine? And he doesn't need to give his family genealogy at that point. Yeah. Uh, right. And so I appreciated that change when I saw that. I went, I like oh, this, this makes it easier. and It makes it a little more straightforward. And kind of focusing in on the spirit of the law there. What's important, right? Uh, let's see. Number eight. Do you strive to keep the Sabbath day holy, both at home and at church? I like the homecoming first. Mm -hmm. Both at home and at church. Attend your meetings. Prepare for and worthily partake of the sacrament. And live your life in harmony with the laws and commandments of the gospel. And I like the word strive. Mm. It starts out and it says, do you strive? doesn't say, did you reach a perfection level? But it does say, do you strive? You got You need to be honestly trying, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it doesn't mean you can't be human, but it does mean you need to try. And uh, the next one, uh, question number nine, do you strive to be honest in all that you do? Again, striving. There are, there are just so many ways when you really think about it that you could say, well, was that 100% honest? If I'm really cutting it down and, and dissecting this, was I 100% honest because I didn't break... So I like the the fact, again, do you strive to be honest in all that you do? And I think the more that you do that, the more that things will come to mind and you'll go, hmm, you know what? I can do better there. Yeah, there's a meme that I've always liked that was, you know, 
are you honest in all you do? And it's a person sweating as they think about all the times they've clicked. I've read and agreed to the terms of condition for literally anything. <laughs> it goes, yes. And do we honestly read through all of those? Probably not. There's something else I was wondering about the previous question, oh, or not sorry. necessarily wondering, but thinking about that. It is so important to be attending your church meetings as well, that the Lord requires faithfulness all the time. I think there can be some well-meaning ideas out there that if I just have a testimony of Jesus Christ, if that's sufficient, that's what I need. And why would I need to be required to go to all of my meetings and things like that? And I think it's the Lord requires faithfulness and out of his saints. Do you have any thoughts you want to? I do, as a matter yeah. of fact. One of the things that the Lord uh, said to Peter was, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's an active going out and doing things. There were some people who, um, when I was serving as a Sunday school president, that did not want to come to the teacher councils. They just felt like, ah, I have been teaching primary for 37 years now. I don't need to come to these things. I already know it. And my response was, well, then you're the exact person who needs to be there to help the rest of us. <laughs> and so if somebody feels like they're 100% converted, which would be wonderful, then come and share and come and help. Mm -hmm. right? Pitch in and strengthen your brethren and your sisters. That's a commandment of the Lord too. And so I think for us to say, oh, you know, I've made it and then say, I can step away now. It's pretty disingenuous. It, it really ignores some of the, the higher commandments that the Lord's given to us. Plus that doesn't give you the opportunity to serve others around you. And that service is what's going to find fulfillment. That's what Christ knew all the answers and his whole ministry was ministering to people around him. I remember um, I had a conversation with someone. They were saying, well, if I have faith in the Lord, then I'll just, I'll receive all these blessings. He's not going to withhold any blessings from me. And I said, it's not that he's withholding blessings from you, but when you go to the temple, you are gaining blessings that I think he wants to give you very special, unique blessings of going to the temple and going to the church regularly that you wouldn't experience otherwise. And it's not that God's being cruel and saying, oh, you have to do this to get all these blessings. It's that as we participate, then we're gaining new perspectives. And sometimes those are the blessings or those experiences that we have to lift others up around us and to learn from them. You know, something that comes to mind is when uh, I've smoked a brisket and... Best midlife crisis ever. When you are, <laughs> when somebody comes in to, to uh, uh, as I'm slicing, I've got a couple of girls who really like the ends, that, mm -hmm. the, which is where the flavor kind of collects on those things. And so if you're there you get to have those because you're there as, as they're being cut. And, oh, you know what? Here you go. This is a reward for being in the kitchen, as opposed to I'm not going to give it to you as a punishment for not showing up and helping. Hmm. Right. It's a little different. Mm -hmm. And if you think about, boy, wouldn't it be terrible if the Savior had that attitude of, you know what? I've made it. Yeah. And that was that. Right. If our point is to become like the Savior, then we got to be able to do the things that he did. Obviously, helping feed his sheep is something that's very important to him. Mm -hmm. Only repeating it three times in the same questioning to Peter, and I'm sure making Peter feel very uncomfortable, but mm -hmm. it also probably left an indelible mark in his mind, as it should for the rest of us, that when you're converted, feed my sheep, strengthen your brethren. Love that. So question number 10 is, are you a full tithe payer? And in the temple recommended interview process, a bishop used to be told, I think this is still the case, but a bishop was told that there are two times in your service as a bishop that you represent the Lord directly as if he were there. One of them is a temple recommend. The other is a tithing settlement. So if you're unfamiliar with the term uh, tithing settlement, um, and actually it's no longer called tithing settlement, 
It is a tithing declaration. declaration. Oh, yeah, I forgot. And so my, my apologies. We're kind of tossing that out there. You start to see how old I really am <laughs> if it doesn't come across in my shaky voice. I didn't catch it, so. <laughs> so, uh, But that is one time a year when you come in and you uh, typically towards the end of the year and you declare your tithing status to the bishop. And you have three different uh, types of tithing status. One could be a full tithe payer. One could be a part tithe payer, and one is a non-tithe payer. And that declaration of full tithe payer or part tithe payer or non-tithe payer is made for every person every year, whether you come in or not. It's a no fun part of the calling of a bishop, and there are a bunch of those that annually, if someone does not come in or you can't get a hold of them, you need to declare for them. I didn't know that. And if there's zero on the tithing, usually that's an easy call. But I do know uh, members who had zero tithing payments that showed up that were full tithe payers and actually quite wealthy. And they were donating in kind. Mm -hmm. So they would donate stocks and bonds. And that doesn't go through a ward. That goes directly in church headquarters. And they have people who are trained in how to handle all that. That was uncomplicated. So, yes, that's why I'm glad I uh, I, I didn't need to be the Lord's accountant. Um, but that is a once a year opportunity for you to go in and declare your tithing status. You'll have that opportunity to visit. And it's usually a very good learning experience for children to come in and not only be able to declare their tithing status, but also to see the faithfulness of their parents mm. and also then to get any words of wisdom and or any candy that the bishop might be handing out. <laughs> I used to ask children if they knew what tithing was used for. And sometimes they knew they had been coached well. Other times they would guess wildly. One of the wild guesses was that the bishop got to keep it, which <laughs> no, indeed does not happen that way. But we would talk about the uh, the funding and the operation of almost everything that the church has is money consuming, not money generating. Mm -hmm. um, when people look and they say, oh, you've got all these buildings and, and it's worth so much money. Well, it's actually costing a lot of money because the buildings need to be maintained and the utilities and all those types of things. So we would talk about the way that the Lord would fund these operations and the fact that the Lord knows where all the buried treasure is in the earth. And if he so chose, he could direct somebody to go find this buried treasure and up it comes and away goes, you know, six new temples. But that's not the way that he does it. And again, he could in understanding the widow's might, the Lord does not need our money, but we need the ability to give of something that is so much of this world. You look at the coin and it has Caesar's inscription on it, render unto Caesar. And it's, sometimes it's just so very hard to separate out. Yeah, but that was in the Old Testament. I really need this money because we've got to. And it's sometimes very hard for us to overcome that natural tendency and to give back to the Lord one-tenth of the 100% that he's given to us by virtue of the way our bodies function and by virtue of the circumstances that we're in and how we're able to earn money. It's always been interesting to me that I've met people that felt like, the church was holding your eternal blessings hostage until you paid 10%. Not only is that not the case, but one of the things that we promise in the temple is that whatever the Lord needs, he can have, and we're willing to give whatever he needs. That's the law of consecration um, in part, in a nutshell. And how can you go to the temple and with a straight face say, yes, I'm willing to give whatever the Lord needs, when no, you can't have one-tenth of what the Lord's already given to me. I think it's very merciful that the Lord keeps us in that instance from making covenants and promises that we cannot keep. At that point in time, probably don't have any intention of keeping. 
And so again, the way I look at it, when you ask that question, are you a full tithe payer? That is a merciful question in that um, it helps us not make those promises until we're ready to make and keep the promises. I think with with Temple Recommend interviews that it's not, you know, trying to catch you at journalism of getting something wrong. It's the bishop is there to help get you where you need to be to be ready to make these covenants. That very much as the Savior invites all to come, that he needs to make sure that you are living those standards and that the bishop very mercifully and with a lot of love will do anything he can to help you get there and by reviewing the gospel and these topics. And so I really like that a lot. I remember I'd heard this quote somewhere. Do you remember who said this? Where we're not earning our way into heaven, that we're learning the ways of heaven. Bradley R. Wilcox in his talk, his 2011 talk on grace. Ooh, I have some more quotes from him later. That guy's awesome. Yes. Very good. Okay. Thank you. Sure. The next question, do you understand and obey the word of wisdom? I think I had mentioned earlier about the 45-minute Temple Recommend interview I had. Mm -hmm. So I was asked this question by that uh, well-meaning bishop, and he said, do you obey the word of wisdom? I said, yes, sir. And he says, what does that mean to you? I thought, well, this is a departure. Okay. And being fairly familiar with the 89th section of the Doctrine and Covenants, I was able to quote most of it back to him. So I said, that's kind of what it means to me. And he looked at me. And you know, you got the question wrong. You didn't give the teacher the answer they were looking for. <laughs> yes. And he said this, he said, let me put it to you this way. Okay. And he said, what's your favorite candy bar? Which mm -hmm. I, caught me off guard. I said, Snickers. And he said, how long has it been since you've had a Snickers? I said, a couple of weeks, I guess. He said, could you go a month without a Snickers? I said, sure. I never thought of it, but sure. I'm, I'm sure I could. And then he went on to explain that in his view that the word of wisdom was about keeping yourself free from addictions of all kinds, right? So it was an interesting way of elaborating that concept. But this one, do you understand and obey the word of wisdom, gives you a chance to say, you know, I do have a question about this. Mm -hmm. And then you compose it uh, for the bishop. But if you say, do you understand and obey the word of wisdom? And you say, yes, you move along. Mm -hmm. And the word of wisdom is the solution to a lot of sins is that you have to go through, as we used to learn in, in primary, the 37 R's of repentance. And that was almost any R word you could come up with. But for the word of wisdom, basically the uh, response is stop it. Hmm. So are you drinking alcohol? Yep. Stop it. Are you smoking? Yes. Stop it. That's one that's pretty cut and dry. Hmm. And you can get into some of the things about, well, am I eating too much meat in season and those types of things. But again, as you look at those things that you should stay away from that are enumerated in there, sometimes we can look beyond the mark and try and wonder, well, what's the common denominator between these strong drinks? Mm. And that can lead you to say, well, coffee and tea both have caffeine. Therefore, anything that has caffeine is bad. And I suppose that anything that's not in moderation would be considered bad. There are headache medicines, Excedrin, mm -hmm. that has caffeine in it that dilates your capillaries and allows blood to flow a little more freely and, and can reduce the pain there. And I had a counselor when I was a bishop that came to me and he was very concerned about the word of wisdom because he said, on fast Sundays, I get terrible headaches. And the only thing that seems to help is taking Excedrin. And I looked at him, I said, well, I'm glad you found something that helped. Mm -hmm. And he was the one who pointed out to me, yeah, but it has caffeine in it. I said, yeah, mm -hmm. is it a medicine? Okie dokie. Mm -hmm. I mean, I okay. So I didn't get into a discussion with him. Well, how long has it been since you had your last, et cetera? 
how long could you go without excitement, <laughs> right? So we, we didn't get to that point. But again, it's interesting. And I think as you are honest with yourself and you're looking to try and do the right things, and mostly as you can feel comfortable, if you can say a prayer and say, am I doing okay, Lord? Is there something with the word of wisdom that I'm just, I'm off base on here? If you feel comfortable and the spirit confirms it, then I'm good with that. As a bishop, I would be good with that. And I'm happy that you've had that conversation. It shows that you care. Mm-hmm. So, which kind of reminds me of what you said earlier about focusing on the positive. That the word of wisdom shouldn't just be a, a list of nope, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's are you taking care of your body? Are you treating it like a temple? Are you treating it sacred, as our bodies are sacred? So, I like that view of making sure you look at it positively instead of just as a list of to don'ts. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, question number twelve. Do you have any financial or other obligations to a former spouse or to children? If somebody said no, then you move along. But for those who are curious, why would that question be asked? The follow-up part B to that is, if yes, are you current in meeting those obligations? Deadbeat dads or moms don't go to the temple. Nice. It's as simple as that, right? Mm-hmm. Because again, you're going to be taking upon yourself obligations to the Lord And if you can't make your obligations to your family that you can see and you can touch, how are you going to be able to do that to our Father in Heaven and to the Savior who you can't see? So it it makes sense when you kind of put it all together that that question would be in there, which I'm grateful for. There's a lot of responsibility that comes to going to the temple and the things that you make in there. makes sense that they want to make sure you're a responsible person. Yep. All right. Number 13. Do you keep the covenants that you made in the temple, including wearing the temple garment as instructed in the endowment? Clearly, that's kind of an all-encompassing question of, all right, think back on those promises that you've made. How are you doing? Are you Mm -hmm. keeping those covenants? Had somebody who asked me once, they were not members of the church, but they were getting ready to be baptized. They had good friends. Uh, It was a couple, and they had two other couples in the ward that were good friends with. And so they asked me, how far away from your ward boundaries do you need to be before it's okay to wear a bikini? What? That was my response. I was like, um, say, wait, what? <laughs> Could pull out the tape measure, people. <laughs> and and what had happened was they were on a cruise with one of these couples. They knew they were members. They knew that they'd been to the temple. And they said, you know, we're we're not at home. We're away. It's no big deal. So they were wearing or not wearing uh, clothing <laughs> as a, as appropriate or inappropriate. And I found that hmm. kind of a fascinating question. So. Really, my response back to them was, how far away are you from the Lord? Hmm. Are you farther away in the Caribbean than you are in Colorado? Are you further away when you're in Alaska? Are you further? Tell me where you're further away from the Lord that your covenants to him don't matter. So we had we had that discussion, but I, I thought that fascinating. was fascinating. Yeah. I also had one other, and I shouldn't share this, but I will. Um, <laughs> I had an interview with a, a wonderful sister. It was a Temple Recommend interview. And she spent the whole time tugging up on her shirt and tugging down on her skirt, oh. which I which I found fascinating that here you are in the in the bishop's office and you feel uncomfortable in what you're wearing. Hmm. And there's really no way that you could wear what she was wearing and wear the garment according to the way that you, you're instructed in the temple to wear it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, isn't that interesting that you're in here feeling uncomfortable and then trying to say, yeah, I'm fine. I I wear them just right. And yet you're squirming. And I just thought it was kind of a, it was a sad thing. We we chatted about that just a little bit, just to kind of highlights uh, my, my not necessarily concerns, but my observation on it. Yeah. 
All right, the final two. Are there serious sins in your life that need to be resolved with priesthood authorities as part of your repentance? And that one, again, is introspective, and part of it will depend on your maturity in the gospel. What constitutes a serious enough sin that you need to talk to the bishop? And I think a good rule of thumb that I found is that a bishop's role is as a common judge in Israel, meaning the bishop's not the one who forgives sins, right? That's the Savior. But part of his responsibility is to make sure that the good name of the church is protected. And so if there's anything that would call your standing in the church into question, that definitely needs to go to the bishop. And the bishop may say, you know what? I appreciate you bringing this to my attention. I think we're good. Or, ooh, let's talk. You can start to work on those types of things. So, uh, and then also anything that you would feel prompted to like, oh boy, is this really rise to, uh, and you, you're, you're struggling with that? Default to, all right, I'll go talk yeah. to the bishop. Mm-hmm. And I can just promise you that as soon as the bishop is released, at least this was my experience, that I couldn't remember. I would have to really struggle to try and remember anything that somebody came in to talk to me about. And I that was one of the best blessings of being a bishop uh, yeah. <laughs> is as soon as you release, it's like, huh, I'm a regular person again. I can I can go to church and I don't have to worry about any of these things. And I, in fact, I don't even remember. And that's great. Um, and I think some people are obviously very concerned about going in and talking to a bishop that now I've got a stigma and, and now I've got this. But really what bishop's trying to do in the repentance process is one, you try to find out where a person is by understanding what's what's happened. You, you're not looking for details, but you are looking to try and understand where they are spiritually. And you want to find out where their goals are. Where would they like to be? If everything were 100% the way you want it, where would you be right now in your life? Mm-hmm. All right, let's chart that course and let's figure out how we can get you from A to B and get you where you'd like to be. And so that's really what the role of a bishop does in that setting as well as um, determining what, if anything, needs to happen from a a church perspective. Again, one of the easiest parts about repentance is knowing when you've been forgiven. People don't believe that, but it really is one of the easiest things because you'll feel it. Mm. And it comes from the Lord. You'll feel it. You'll know. Now, there may be a little bit of overlap in the time from when you feel that to when everything else is, is resolved, and that's fine. Uh, there may be times when it's been long enough that that is really the last step is feeling that. And then you move forward and I'll hasten to add one last thing and then I'll be quiet about oh, it. You're subject. great. Is you remember when Alma the Younger. It's going to bring that up. Yep, yeah. When Alma the Younger was talking to his sons and he talked about uh, what had happened to him and what he had done. And he said that when his mind caught hold on, Uh, Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. And he said his guilt was swept away. So many people think that it's the memory that swept away. And it's not, right? Hopefully you remember enough that you go, oh no, I'm on a slippery slope here. Let's get off this slope immediately. But it's the guilt that is swept away. And sometimes people can get tripped up because they think, if I can still remember it, I guess I haven't been forgiven yet. And I think that's one of the mm. adversary's greatest tools that's a good point. is trying to foster that uncertainty in your mind and, and making you feel like, oh no, now I'm not worthy. I get I still, if I can remember it, then I guess I haven't been forgiven and now I'm not worthy and trying to drive that wedge in between you and the Lord when there is none. Right. So that again, that's 
just something as part of the repentance process. If you if if you've already visited with a bishop about something, you've had it's been resolved, even if it's serious. If it's been resolved, there's no need to bring it up again. Right? You move forward. Yeah. Final question, and this is a tricky one. It says, "Do you consider yourself worthy to enter the Lord's house and participate in temple ordinances?" This question has changed by one word or really? one little phrase. Yeah. It used to say, "Do you consider yourself worthy in every way?" Hmm. To oh my, in every way. You know that little thing about reading the disclaimers before I said yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that just opens up such a can of worms, and that I think in part helped lead to the mistaking. Uh, impression that you had to be perfect in order to attend the temple mm -hmm. and you don't otherwise we wouldn't even have enough no, to, we'll to have to wouldn't have enough to staff a temple presidency let alone workers let alone patrons right and so that's not the standard never has been um but it says do you consider yourself worthy to enter the lord's house and participate in temple ordinances if you reflect back on the previous 14 questions there there's your framework if you mm -hmm. could say yes to the yes questions and no to the no questions then yes, you are worthy. There was one one man who was just, he was faithful. He had a wonderful wife who was a temple worker for years and years, and he just never went to the temple. Mm -hmm. And the bishop visited with him, and he just felt like he wasn't worthy, wasn't ready to go to the temple. And so the bishop tried to, he said, why aren't you worthy? He said, do you, you know, do you keep the word of wisdom? That's a common one. Uh, yes. Uh, you pay your tithing, right? Yes, I do. Um, you, and, and as the bishop was trying, he never could find out what this man's concern was. Mm. One of the things that I, that I discovered was this man kind of took unto himself the bishop's role. Mm. The bishop, not him, is the common judge in Israel. Uh -huh. If you have a question on worthiness, that's the bishop's responsibility to help you sort that out. Mm -hmm. Not for you to say, yay, nay, you know, and, and just say, nope, I'm not worthy. I'm not going. You may well not be worthy. but that's not your role to keep yourself out of the temple. That needs to be something that's understood and allow, you allow the bishop to fulfill his calling. Mm -hmm. That's why bishops are there. They're a great in, resource. In, indeed they are. I love that. That ties in perfectly. I wanted to mention the worthiness is not flawlessness. An incredible talk by Elder Wilcox. Elder? Bro, Brother Wilcox? Brother Wilcox. Brother Wilcox. I'm going to go ahead and share this. Some mistakenly receive the message that they are not worthy to participate fully in the gospel. And we can... Uh, include temple ordinances mm -hmm. there because they are not completely free of bad habits. God's message is that worthiness is not flawlessness. Worthiness is being honest and trying. We must be honest with God, priesthood leaders like bishops and others who love us, and we must strive to keep God's commandments and never give up just because we slip up. Elder Bruce e. Haven said that developing a Christ-like character requires patience and persistence more than it requires flawlessness. The Lord has said, the gifts of the Spirit are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments, and him that seeketh to do so, but very much goes to, are you striving? Exactly. Some of those changes, I really like that. Um, he had mentioned later in this talk that someone said that he uh, was struggling so much with an addiction that he felt like he should stop coming to church because he felt like a hypocrite. The leader responded, you're not a hypocrite because you have a bad habit you're trying to break. You're a hypocrite if you hide it, lie about it, or try to convince yourself the church has the problem for maintaining such high standards. Being honest about your actions and taking steps to move forward is not being a hypocrite. It is being a disciple, which I really liked. And I definitely think, yeah, there is that prevailing idea that if I'm not doing things perfectly, then I shouldn't be going to the temple at all. And it's very much 
Are you, are you striving and are you doing the best that you can? Are you working with the leaders that are there to help you? If they have written their names on your temple recommend and they're aware of your situations and they're, they're testing very much in the law of witnesses that you are able to go. Some mistakenly receive the message that God is waiting to help until after we repent. God's message is that he will help us as we repent. His grace is available to us no matter where we are in the path of obedience. Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorfer said, God does not need people who are flawless. He seeks those who will offer their heart and a willing mind and will make them perfect in Christ. There's also that incredible talk by Elder Holland that be therefore perfect eventually. The temple doesn't require standards of perfection. They require standards of your efforts and the things that you're willing to do and where your heart is in the right place as well. Going to the the spirit of the law and not you know, I and I teach in temple prep about we talk about how maybe some people want there to be exact legislations on the lengths of the garments and give us a list of all the clothing we can or shouldn't wear and that kind of a thing. And they're really missing what the point of the law is that we're trying to keep ourselves clean and pure before the Lord. And it's very much with what intent are you doing these things as opposed to what's the outcome of these things. I used to have people ask me questions about wearing the temple garment. And I would say, if I gave you an answer, that would be what James Hoff does, not what the bishop does. Mm. However, let me give you this standard. I said, if you're looking for an excuse to get out of your garments, that comes into question. If you question whether wearing them because you're sweating profusely or whatever it might be, you're swimming, um, and you feel like maybe that's not keeping them sacred, okay. Mm -hmm. then that's a discussion that you and the Lord can have. I teach correct principles, as Joseph Smith said, and they govern themselves. themselves. And that's what the Lord's looking for, is people who can govern themselves who are spiritually mature. Yeah. The Lord doesn't want to be able to command us in all things that we should be able to have. If we've learned the principles, then we should be able to apply the principles to situations and not ask the Lord, you know, same that needs to be commanded in all things as a slothful and otherwise servant. Um, I also, this occurred to me when I was teaching temple prep, that in the endowment, we covenant to obey the law of the gospel, which will be discussed more in depth in a later episode. But something I realized was people are a little confused about what does the law of the gospel mean? And I thought, it's the temple recommend interview. Those are all the things that, that God has required us to live. When we get to renew our recommend, we're reminded of the covenants we made. It's our chance to bear our testimony of what we've committed to. And it's not just a checklist item of, am I doing what the Lord wants me to do? But am I the person the Lord wants me to be? Do you have any thoughts? Yes. I do yeah, have one please. closing thought. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had the opportunity once to sit in as a state presidency was visiting for state conference with Elder Lindy Robbins of the 70. Mm -hmm. And Elder Robbins um, reviewed all the statistical reports, which were very, very good um, in that stake. And he said, you know, you now have the opportunity to focus in on those things that matter most, those things that you can't measure with statistics. Do your husbands love your wives? Are they treating them kindly? And he went into some of those deeper things. And then he proceeded for two hours to teach about the parable of the 10 virgins. Nice. Yeah. And it was, it was phenomenal. But just in a, in a nutshell, he brought up, and I did not realize this, he said that during the Savior's time, that the wedding feast was most often held at the bridegroom's home. Is so. That? As you start to look at that and you start to say, all right, if the Savior is the bridegroom, this feast is being held at his house. So what is it that allows me to get into his house? It's your temple recommend. Can your temple recommend get somebody else in that house? And so he talked about the importance of always having a temple recommend. But for purposes of that analogy, the temple recommend was the oil that went into your lamp. 
And he told the story of the mother of one of the general authorities who was in the hospital. And she was very near death, but she was very concerned that her temple recommend was expiring. And I believe it was President Monson who had dropped in to visit with her, with her son, who was general authority. And he uh, had asked her if she'd like a blessing, which obviously when the, when the prophet asked you if you'd like a blessing, the, the correct response is yes. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned that her temple recommend was about to expire. And President Monson said, let me take care of that for you right now. And her point was, which I thought was phenomenal, was that she did not want to go out of this life not being recommended to the Lord, not having that temple recommend. Even when you're in places where you can't attend, that the temple's too far away. If you always keep a current temple recommend, it is a touch point for you to know how you're doing with the, in respect to the commandments, how you're doing. Are you keeping yourself in the mainstream of the church? Are you keeping yourself where the Lord would have you be, even though you have things to work on? It's a great, like I said, it's a great touch point. And uh, it, it was a wonderful lesson. And it was so much fun to be in there for two hours and not be a member of the state presidency. Mm-hmm. I was an executive secretary at the time. But so he wasn't looking to me as he was asking questions, which was really, which, yeah. which is the best part of that. Uh, for two hours, it was like, phew, now I just get to learn. <laughs> but it, it, it was a wonderful. It really was wonderful. And that has that stuck with me for now better than 15 years. How critically important having a temple recommend and being worthy to hold that temple recommend really is. Absolutely. Going back to the parable of the 10 virgins, like the five couldn't share their worthiness with the other sisters. That was something or the other women they had to feel that they had to live up to the recommend standards that were available and they couldn't share that with someone else. And that's why they needed to have it. And luckily we know through modern revelation uh, that with the Joseph Smith translation, that when the five unprepared virgins came to the door, uh, that the bridegroom said, you knew me not. And it was very much that they weren't worthy to enter his house because they didn't know him because they weren't living the standards and the things that would allow them to better know the, the character of God and the character of the Lord. And I think that parable has a lot of really wonderful symbolism. And I like that, that it's at the bridegroom's house, which every temple above the door, house of the Lord, holiness to the Lord. And yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of end with I think there are uh, some people who see the temple recommend interview process as, again, as a checklist or as a, oh, this is my ticket for special seating or this is my hall pass to get into the temple. But this is our chance to affirm to ourselves and to the leaders that have been called and set apart that we are worthy to come into the temple and to make these deeply sacred covenants and to be able to participate in the ordinances of salvation. And that as we do so, we will be blessed in ways that I don't know if we'll be able to experience some of those blessings outside of the temple. I know I was very privileged as a temple worker to experience many things that I'm so grateful I could and would not have been able to otherwise. And so I love the recommend interview process. It's it's a great time to really sit down and, and think about these questions. That even though the questions are standardized, as you apply it to yourself, you will really find the gospel is so much more personal than I think sometimes we see at first glance, which is a Elder Maxwell quote. I love that guy. Thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, sure. (laughs) It's very convenient when your dad is here. I get to use all these good resources. Um, As always, I will include all of the links that we used uh, in the episode description, including uh, links where you can look into Temple Recommend interview questions. 
for a personal study. And as always, I will include the link for the churchofjesuschrist.org for any questions that you may have about our beliefs regarding the temples or just about anything. Lots of good resources. But until then, thank you so much for joining in and have a celestial day. Thank you.